Hey, hey, welcome back to the Personal Player Development Podcast. I'm Dr. Mark, our uh, original host, and obviously you might know that I'm usually the co-host. Our original host has uh, some things he's got to take care of this week, so he put me in charge, so hopefully I can do him some justice. Uh, As you know, we have a number of different guests on the show every week. We try to mix it up here and there, um, from the athlete to the helping professional to you know, the as we're going to go into now, the academic. And I'm really pleased to, to introduce uh, our guest, and I'm going to let him talk a little bit about what he does. But let me just kind of go over some of the highlights. Dr. Eddie Como is an associate professor of higher education at the University of California, Riverside, uh, maintains an active research agenda that examines the college student experience with special attention on athletics and underrepresented students and how those experiences influence their subsequent outcomes. Uh, Central to much of his work are issues of access and equity. Uh, Como has authored two books, more than 50 peer-reviewed journal articles, books, chapters, and other academic publications and reports. His research appeared in Educational Research Journal of Higher Education, Journal of College Student Development, Journal of Intercollegiate Sport, Sociology of Sports Journal, and several other well-rounded academic journals. His research has been supported by the Ford Foundation and the National Collegiate Athletic Association. As well, Dr. Como has created and co-produced several narrative documentaries, delivered keynote addresses, and presented more than 100 research papers, workshops, and symposia at higher education institutions and national research conferences. Como's work has been featured or quoted in the Huffington Post, Forbes, New York Times, L.A. Times, Sports Illustrated, Chronicle of Higher Education, Inside Higher Ed, Diverse Issues of Higher Education, and many other outlets. So to say the least, we're dealing with a heavy hitter, folks. Let me finish up. Como teaches courses on college student development theories, intercollegiate athletics, foundations of research, and diversity issues in higher education. He is a co-founder and former chair of the Special Interest Group. Research focus in education and sport for the American Educational Research Association. In addition, Dr. Como serves on several editorial boards, and prior to earning his doctorate at the University of California, Los Angeles, he was drafted out of the University of California, Berkeley, in an amateur free draft by the Texas Rangers baseball organization and spent four years playing professionally. So we got somebody here, folks, that has done it on both ends. So understand that when we're talking, and and you may want to reach back out to him and email and have conversations, but this is the real deal. Dr. Como, how are we doing this evening? I'm doing well, Dr. Mark. Uh, it's a pleasure to be here. Oh man, I, I I get hyped up. You know, when I get to when I get to do the intro, <laughs> I do the intro like we <laughs> like we appreciate get down it. With appreciate it. it. Well, we can hang up the phone now. I mean, it took five minutes for that. No, know as much as they need to know about me. <laughs> right, right, right. But they they want to hear they want to hear from you. So tell. Tell, tell them about the work you do. I know you got this book out, this new book out. You got the other book, but you got this new book out, this intercollegiate components. Tell them, tell right. people about that work that you do. Well, um, you know, my, my day job, uh, my passion is really uh, an academic, a researcher. Um, I have several strands of my research, whether it's uh, work around uh, college athletics or, or uh, campus climate or racial uh, justice issues in higher education or simply just uh, looking at uh, 
diversity competence among professionals that are working closely with, with a diverse group of students on campus. But, but, but primarily as it relates to this conversation is my work around college athletics. You know, I have a vested interest in, in working closely with athletes, primarily around their engagement practices within the college environment and how that's preparing them for life after sport, right, trying to understand when the music stops playing, are, are college athletes prepared for, uh, you know, uh, professional school or graduate school? Are they ready to go into a Fortune 500 company, work in nonprofit in, in a community, um, or community-based work? Um, and so what I try to do uh, right now in my, my work, which has evolved over time, is really to think about what are some of those intentional practices? What are those intentional uh, engagement practices that will lead uh, athletes, college athletes in particular, to a quality career transition? And so that may entail uh, figuring out uh, how to strike this proper balance between academics and athletics because too often there's a disproportionate amount of time spent on their athletic prowess uh, but but not as much on their academic obligations. And so what I try to do as an academic, as a researcher, is put together data-driven practices um, that, that really make sense, that are purposeful, uh, that can get them to have that, that healthy balance between academics and athletics, but also have a quality career transition. Some of those things may include uh, just simple things as internship opportunities, right, whether it's during the off-season or during the summer months. Uh, too often um, there's this idea or notion that, that athletes spend a disproportionate amount of time on their athletics, and they don't have time for these purposeful, purposeful engagement athletic, uh, uh, activities. And so what I try to do is work closely with these practitioners, work closely with the athletes, and figure out how do we strike this balance? How do we get more athletes involved with faculty members on research projects? Or how do we get them involved in things that they're passionate about um, other than sport, right, to set them up for this, this life or, or this uh, career transition? And so that's what I've really been doing. Uh, I wrote a book, of, uh, an edited book on data-driven best practices and academic support. A lot of that, um, identifying those, those purposeful activities, uh, data-driven practices that we think are important uh, for athletes in, in terms of a quality career transition. Like, I like the, uh, I like the, the, the phrase uh, data-driven practices because, you know, in, in, in my travels and the conferences and, 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 and reading different things that people produce, you know, there seems to be this, this, this great divide of practitioners and research experts. Um, and, and, and there is no, no bridge. You know, if, if someone's on the research side, they, they do research, and it's like, okay, that's, that, those are the findings. And then we say, okay, so what do we do with those? How, how, how do those findings help us work better with this population? And then you have the other side, the practitioner side, where people are working in, with, with athletes, and then you say, okay, so, Where's your research to support what you're doing from a, a practitioner standpoint? And then that person says, "Hey, this is just what we do." You know, right. um, yeah. it, it, when I look at uh, 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 Tony Robbins, for example, you know, um, and people say, "Well, Tony Robbins, he's kind of the quaky guy," but Tony Robbins is laughing all the way to the bank, and he's helping so many people transform their lives, um, whether it's because they believe or whether it's because they. They have something driven from within inside themselves, but his his business model is not is not data driven. It has not been driven off of the data, other than the fact that we got millions of people that are going to see his shows. You know, so obviously he's doing something right. So how do you how do you feel about what's going on in in and this is not even a question on the thing, but now we're talking about data. How do you feel about the 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 the, the rise? I'm going to say, and I'm not so much the rise, but the rise in 
observation of athletes and crime, particularly minority athletes? How do we gather that data to determine what practices we need to put in place? You said athletes and um, crime. The last crime. 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 Okay. Um, you know, that's, that, that is an area um, that, that, that um, I haven't spent much time uh, thinking about, but I think that's a sort of broader um, approach I can take in terms of trying to answer your, attempting to answer your question, because you brought up a number of points here that I think are, are, are important and was really a source of motivation for even um, developing and uh, the actual edited book that we have on data-driven uh, informed practices and academic support, is that on the one hand, uh, you have practitioners, and, and too often they rely on intuition and assumptions when they make decisions about athletes, right? They don't use data to inform their ways of thinking and knowing or use data to inform their decision-making practices. And so so too often these assumptions can be very damaging to athletes, right? If you just say, well, um, just based on what I've known over 25 years, I just think we should approach it this way. But if there's nothing to really challenge those assumptions, or what I'm thinking about challenging it, using data to really challenge that assumption that, then again, um, you could be in an environment where you're actually doing a disservice to the actual athlete. And so one of the ways to really uh, get us thinking and practicing and being more efficient and effective at what we do is to use data to really inform how we think about um, 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 how we engage athletes or re-engage athletes. And so sort of the, the question that you're, you pose around athletes and crime, you know, um, clearly um, there, there needs to be um, – evidence, right? There needs to be a, a data uh, so that we can better understand that and respond more meaningfully to the athlete. Uh, again, I, I'm not familiar with the, the literature. I do know that, that oftentimes when athletes are, um, you know, involved in any sort of uh, allegations or, uh, or crime, uh, alleged crime or, or crime where they've committed and, and it's been uh, uh, substantiated, um, I do know that um, it, it tends to be magnified. And, and then, so when I think about the work on crime and athletes, uh, I try to stay away from that because I don't think that, that the amount of crime among athletes um, is proportionate with what we see in the larger uh, uh, or broader academic community. Um, and so I, I really can't speak much to the, to the crime piece more so than I can think about how important it is to data to really uh, engage our athletes. You know, we're going to get some data. We're gonna get some data, and, and, and I'm gonna I'm gonna try I'm gonna get some data. Uh, hopefully, over the next uh, month or so, and uh, uh -huh. we're have to we're gonna have to sit down and chop the data up. And uh, okay. I want you to I want you to really Absolutely. consider being you know being on that team. Uh, and, right, and, right. You know, we can talk about the sidebar how we're gonna get the data. Uh, right. You know, later off off the offline, but. Okay. Uh, you know, we want to we want to get to that point of having that conversation. Uh, sure. To determine if 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 we are, you know, um, if we are making a misconception about oh athletes and crime. I, I've got so many different components that I work with in my head on uh -huh. when when an athlete gets arrested for a crime, you know, and and, and then we look at it from one perspective and say, well, that you know, that's not. Uh, in, in, indicative of the general population, right? Yeah, right. And then, and, and then I, then I throw in there, yeah, but the general population is not making four hundred fifty thousand dollars. You know, right, right, at, right. At that, right. at that age group, at that race, at that gender. If you look at 
the tax bracket are the people that are in that tax bracket committing those types of crimes. Yeah, you could take me as, as a 19, 20-year-old African-American male and say, yeah, we commit a crime at a specific rate. Uh, we're incarcerated mm. at a specific rate, right? Mm. Uh, right. Mm. But, but, but I'm, not, I'm not making 400, you know, 50,000 to a million. I'm not making right, right, uh, right. Uh, so you know, it's kind of like is you know, I don't know, is, is the Mark Zuckerbergs of the world in that tax bracket? Are they committing the crimes at the same rate as the athletes that may be in a similar tax bracket? I don't know. We're gonna have to find that out. Um, right. The, I'm even the, thinking the thing, about. I guess. The, go ahead. No, I just saying. I was even thinking about the college college athlete piece at, at a, on a different level. How there's uh, you know allegations against athletes. But I think what's uh, too often been problematic is that there's re- rarely a due process, right, when mm-hmm. it comes to the athletes, too. You know, they're suspended or, or likely losing their eligibility um, based on, you know, um, um, any evidence that has presented, been presented, but, but there's no due process in place. And so um, if the athletes are all, too often vulnerable in these cases without it actually playing out and, and coming to uh, an outcome. And so I think, you know, as amateurs on the college um, level, um, that's something that I think is not favorable to the athletes when, in fact, they are allegations against them. Um, you know, that can jeopardize their entire career without even having a due process. And so I was thinking about it more so. Uh, yeah, I, I'm, I'm, I'm with it. I'm with it. But yeah, you, you, yeah. you're messing with the money now. I mean, you, yeah. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> you're messing with the money now. I mean, if, if these schools don't, if there's an allegation, take, for example, the situation that at North Carolina, you know, right. uh, uh, they, they have an allegation. You know, a young lady said that, you know, she was raped by this young man. Um, uh-huh. And, and, and you, you know, you, you got to remove him from the, from the institution because if you don't remove him, even on the allegation, which I agree, it's got, it should be a due process, but you, you, you don't take action right away, um, you're going to have so many advocates and, 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 and survivor groups uh, uh, on your doorstep at your campus, if not some of the students that are on your campus, where you know the Nikes, the Gatorades, uh, everybody yeah. else will say, "Hey, we we can't mess with you right yeah. now." Yeah, and, that, and, and that's I believe that's yeah, yeah, that's where it's going. I think that's where yeah. it, it, that's where it's going because right now we don't know if uh, uh, the um, you know, the apparel companies, which is obviously some of the biggest backers when it comes to these athletic programs at the college level, right? Yeah, right. You know, we, we've not heard of them pull out because of an allegation. For example, with Baylor, I don't know who Baylor's sponsor is, but I'm sure they've not, you know, all the stuff that's going on down there, they've not come out and said, oh, we're not going to back you now. We, we, we right. wear our uniforms. You know, you guys got to go to Kmart and get yours. Um, right. No, they, they, like you say, they removed the athlete. In this case, they removed the coach. They removed the chancellor. And, you know, business as usual. So I'm going to get back to, 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 to uh, the, my host's question, Sweeney's question, so he doesn't kill me. Uh, okay. What pulled you into this, to, into this line of work? What pulled you in? Well, part of it is that I've been uh, what I would consider an insider. I was a former college athlete, right, um, and, and thinking about or reflecting reflecting upon my experiences as an athlete, I know there were a lot of, of, of gaps that were not filled. Uh, there were a lot of um, possibilities uh, that I couldn't take advantage of because of the structure of college athletics. Um, and I was always one that felt like 
at some point, I need to disrupt this structure. I need to put us in a, a better place uh, so that we can be successful not only on the field but off the field within the classroom um, and to be able to compete with passion in the classroom. Um, so that was, that was one part of it. The other uh, piece that I think is, is probably more important uh, than sort of being this insider is that, you know, I was fortunate enough as, as an undergraduate at UC Berkeley uh, to be mentored by Harry Edwards. Uh, I took several classes with him. Uh, it seemed like every class that, that uh, I took or was enrolled in, uh, he was speaking directly to me, particularly his classes on the sociology of sport. And it seemed like everything resonated with me um, in terms of thinking about how athletes um, are too often uh, uh, put in unfavorable positions where it makes it very difficult for them to have the desirable outcomes that they would like. And so, you know, after I, had, I was fortunate enough to be drafted, I came back uh, during the offseason uh, and finished up my degree um, and, and had an opportunity to play before I blew out my Achilles tendon and tried to come back. Uh, and play, but that didn't work out. But as I think back, it was those conversations that I had with Dr. Edwards. It was those experiences that I had as a former college athlete that said that, hey, you know, I, I want to be a one who's able to fill those information gaps. I want to disrupt the structure that's not always uh, favorable to athletes. And so uh, never in my wildest imagination that I think that, you know, once I finish my undergraduate degree, uh, that I would come back and get a terminal degree and, and then become an academic, a researcher, and now studying these issues. But I really think it was those 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 informational interviews. It was those messages. It was sitting in those classes and thinking about, you know, um, from a social justice standpoint, you know, how do we try to level the playing field? How do we try to put more athletes in position, namely black athletes in position, so that they can have um, quality experiences, uh, you know, during college and obviously think about them post-college. And so that was really uh, the thrust of, and drive behind uh, the current work that I'm doing and how I'm now positioned, uh, I think, to, to, to really help athletes just because of my experiences that I have pre-college. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you just you just kind of transition right into the next one in terms of what do you, what's your take on the Colin Kaepernick situation as you talk about social injustice and, and, and athletes. What what. I mean, there's so many different angles to take, but what... what yeah, yeah, yes. Well, you know, first and foremost, it, it's, you know, what Colin is doing is, is nothing new. Um, what he's doing is, is really trying to raise our level of consciousness on issues around state violence, police brutality, right? And so the concern, the uproar, the criticisms from some people, not all, has been that, well, we don't like his method, the fact that he's doing it during the national anthem. Uh, but the last I checked that when you engage in demonstrations or acts of civil disobedience, it's not supposed to be pleasurable to everyone. Not everyone's going to be on board uh, with the stance that you take. I think there's a larger issue out, a larger issue out here that everyone can agree with that there are black bodies that are are, are viewed as disposable, right, and, and that, and that uh, many of many black bodies are being killed at the hands of our nation's police officers. And so here's a case where he wants to raise awareness. He wants to bring awareness to this issue, and he's clearly done that using his platform. Um, now, I also think that this should be a collective effort. Uh, I think he's done his part uh, by having that plat platform and demonstrating as such. And I think it's up to us to continue 
us meaning communities, because this is not simply a black issue. Uh, I like to see more players of all race, uh, across all racial lines getting involved. I like to see the communities getting involved. And they have been, right? There's been an ongoing effort among, whether we're talking about Black Lives Matter movement or, or others who are uh, exercising their rights and freedom of speech to really address issues that we think are, are, are central to um, America. Um, uh, I don't see this as unpatriotic. I mean, we can talk about un unpatriotic. Uh, the fact that people are protesting, the fact that he has the freedom to protest is unpatriotic. But um, again, I, 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 you know, I support what Colin Kaepernick is doing. I'm hoping that that we're moving toward a particular strategy where we've raised awareness. Now is the time to sort of continue to think about deeper understandings of what does this re really mean on a larger scale, but also taking actions to really think about policies that can be implemented um, that will certainly demonstrate that we're moving toward a more inclusive environment, uh, that we really care about the lives of all, you know, of all Americans and, and, and that, you know, particularly black bodies who are, who are oftentimes um, rendered uh, 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 disposable um, that we take uh, a vested interest in in um, uh, our experiences and ensure that that uh, there are policies in place that protect us. Yeah, you know, I, I look at uh, I look at his his. Um, I mean, I look at what's going on and and the athlete involvement, and you know, I I, I I agree with everything that you say, and I also feel as if that this is an opportune time for athletes at that pro level, at that high visibility level, to really address some of the issues that are happening at the collegiate level, you know, and, and, and I believe that if they were addressing the issues at the collegiate level, there would, there would be a, a, a stronger impact on what goes on at the collegiate level when you talk about leaving unprepared. Um, and I, and, and I, when you say, yeah, there's, some, there's black bodies, um, but there are a whole bunch of, you know, former athletes that are walking dead. They're walking dead. Um, right. The, the, the struggle of trying to figure out who you are, the struggle of trying to swallow your pride and do things that you never thought you would have to do in order to survive from one day to the next, the, 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 the instant inferiority complex that you received because you didn't make it, um, if you don't have the tutelage along those four years where you've connected, such as yourself with, with a Dr. Harry Edwards, to kind of like, boom, light's going off here. You know, I'm, I'm seeing the way here. There's so many of us that go through the collegiate system at the Division One, Two, Three, NAIA, community college. We go through it, and we think that the grass is going to be green at the end of the tunnel, and when we get to the end of the tunnel, there's, there's, there's nothing there. Uh, right. No pro contract. And so – I get the fact that guys like Colin and LeBron and Melo, they've, they're so far removed from that struggle. You know what I'm saying? They're so far removed from what it means to sit on a cargo van and drive three out four hours to Modesto to play a game uh, where they're, they're jet setters, you know. So yeah. some of these pro athletes, they, they've never gone through this particular type of struggle as an athlete when it's over until for them it is over. Uh, right. And then it's like, wow, you know, I'm, I'm going through some things. Yeah, you, we have a lot of athletes, and we'll get to this segment uh, at, towards the middle, but who make it 
and they're successful, the Kobe Bryants, the Magic Johnsons, the, the, the Michael Strahan's, you know, those guys, they go through it, they make it. So they don't see the other side of those who don't make it. They hear the stories, you know, but I just feel like more athletes at the pro level should advocate for um, the collegiate model in terms of what, what we're really giving them. And our thing is obviously personal player development. You take a personal approach to a player and you try and develop that player, and we just don't see a lot of it happening at the collegiate level. It's all about football. So the next question is why, why, um, what's your opinion on programs and services that help athletes transition, help athletes realize that, you know, um, I need a way out of no way, I need to do the internship. Should we have more of that? Is it, is it enough? Where, where, where do you stand on that? Well, first and foremost, um, I think that, well, yeah, I truly believe that when you think about the transition of an athlete, a, a transition from high school to college, um, I would argue that, that it's, it's, it's rarely a fair exchange, right? You size most, most athletes sign a national letter of intent and then their financial agreement. Uh, if you're a blue chip athlete, you can probably, uh, avoid uh, signing the national letter of intent, just signing your financial agreement. But but it's rarely a fair exchange. Uh, once you sign and commit to an institution, uh, you're deemed, uh, in the eyes of the NCAA, an amateur, right? So, uh, one, you can't be compensated beyond what they uh, believe to be reasonable compensation for an athlete, uh, the full cost of attendance, right? Uh, but then you have the increasing commercialism of college athletics where those who are the power brokers, those who are generating or, or being compensated the most, whether we're talking about coaches, presidents, uh, NCAA officials, those are the ones who are benefiting the most handsomely from this, this, this enterprise, right? And they're the ones who are uh, making the rules of engagement, right? And so that's why I would argue that it's rarely a fair exchange. You know, athletes can't even get paid for their, their name, image, and likeness. And so, so part of the concern is what, what is the, the purpose of athletes uh, who enter this institution? Is the goal really to develop them as high achievers, personally and academically? Or is the goal simply... Uh, to maintain their eligibility, right, so they can participate in their sport and in, continue to appeal to the product in ways that benefit those who make the rules. And so, so part of the concern that I have is more structural, the structural impediments that make it very difficult for athletes to develop personally and academically. I don't think the structure uh, lends itself to that sort of development, perhaps that you're speaking about. Now, we talked, uh, you know, we had a we had a nice conversation um, at the uh, NCAA uh, workshop group in New Orleans, and and I really do believe that you know athletes are maximizing their opportunities personally and academically. Uh, that's preparing them for life after sport because of those structural impediments. Uh, the fact that um, winning trumps personal and academic obligations, the fact that commercial, commercial interest tends to supersede, you know, academic and personal uh, interest that athletes may have. And so that, to me, has been uh, the, the, the central concern that I have 
is about this exchange and how athletes, uh, I would argue, are some of the most vulnerable actors on the campus because they're not protected. Um, and um, too often uh, the objectives of, the, of intercollegiate athletics aren't in line with opportunities to develop personally and academically, right? So what's, what's inherent, what I, what, what I think uh, more than anything is this inherent ability to develop athletically, right? You have to wake up early for weights. You've got voluntary workouts. You travel. Um, you've got practice. Um, you've got games. You've got coaches in your ear with, with team meetings, right? Those are things that are a constant in the lives of athletes. But when you talk to most athletes and you ask them, well, you know, why aren't you majoring in business? Why aren't you majoring in STEM? Uh, things that are more aligned with your career aspirations. Uh, oftentimes it goes back to the athletic model, that it's simply a case where I'm consumed with athletics and I don't have enough time for the developmental piece. Uh, I can develop athletically, don't get me wrong, but the other piece that I think is important because we know that the likelihood of all these athletes that enter these institutions going on to be LeBron James or Kobe Bryant or Melo, all the others that you mentioned, is very slim. And so oh, yes. uh, I think we have a very uh, a skewed way of thinking about the athlete, but they're, they're so vulnerable and they're not protected, not even in the form of their uh, grant and aid, right? It's, it's a one-year renewable, right? So if you're not adhering to the mission of the coach who's, Pay disproportionately for winning games. Like what's minuscule is is the fact that we're going to give you additional or a bonus if you graduate athletes, right? If, or if you reach a certain APR benchmark, uh, right? That that's that's minuscule right. in comparison to uh, the amount of money that you would make if you win a game, win a national championship, right? So so um, and it's not to suggest that coaches don't care about the well-being of athletes. I just think the structure is set up where. Um, I'm going to tell you everything um, that I want you to hear during the recruiting process and even uh, in your face. But at the end of the day, you need to perform on this field or court. Otherwise, I won't have a job and uh, my livelihood is at stake. So um, you're going to have to get on board with this program and figure it out. If you want to become a business major, if you want to major in engineering, um, you're going to have to figure that out. But, uh, you know, um, I, I'm ne not necessarily going to be supportive of that. I mean, even in my case, um, and I'll be the first to mention, you know, when I was a baseball player at Cameron, you know, there were certain majors that I was really interested in. But at the end of the day, after consulting with my coaches, it was, hey, do you want to start or do you want to be a business major? And, you know, baseball went out. I want to start. Yeah. Right? You know, every, yeah, everybody was. Yeah. And that, that, that's, um, that's the big, you, you, you hit the, the, the nail on the head. That's the big issue in terms of uh, the whole personal development. It's almost as if, like you said, you're on your own. You're on right. your own. Uh, right. Uh, and, you, and I guess, you know, like you say, uh, you didn't say it, but this is the phrase, win now or you're not going to have a chance to win later. And that's how nope. uh, yep. uh, uh, our, our system has, has really become. And even if you do win, um, it may not be good enough. <laughs> right. You know, it, it, it may not be good enough. To where you you keep your job? We were talking about Cal, and, and, and last year, you know, they were talking about Sunny Doctor. Oh, we don't know if he's gonna they're gonna get rid of him and this that and the other. Well, you know, here he is. He's one again in every season. You know, unless you're one of those long term coaches, uh, if you don't, you know, please the alumni and and and, and the fan base, 
Um, there's always a question when another coach gets fired, hey, we can go after this coach uh, and, and bring it in. So the, the coach is under a, a tremendous amount of pressure. And, and it, like you say, this, this, this athlete that we are seeing now, and you combine that with the me generation type athlete, um, right. That's what we're living in. This, this is this generation. There is no team here. Uh, right. This, right. This, this is a me generation. I've got my three boys, uh, sixteen, you know, uh, ten and six, and you know, I'm going to youth events, and parents, mm-hmm. they, they don't care about your kids. You right. know, it's all about pass my son the ball, passing the ball, passing the ball. Oh, he could have passed my son the ball, and I sit there and I say, well, man, your son took the last five shots. You know, right. and he hasn't made one. Well, he's just getting warmed mm-hmm. up. Well, what about it? What, there's other guys on the on the court, man. That, that, you know, you got to. This is this is development time. No, no, my son. I need to get him ranked. He's ten right. years old. You know. So yeah. we're gonna move into to, to, to no. Go ahead. If you got more, bring it. No, look, I just, I just, I, I just want to add to that. You know, um, I like that scenario you're describing here with with with, the, with your with your boys. Um, you know, I, I, I truly believe that the personal side, um, the, the personal the player development side, and, and I, I want to stay within the context of college athletics, uh, right. but I also think about this longitudinal process that they go through. Like so much of the personal development side is acquired pre-college, like through their support system. Like right? if you've got, you know, a, a strong family um, support system, you know, if you have great coaches who serve as mentors to you, you're acquiring those those, those skills, those competencies that are preparing you for higher education, for college, for professional level. Uh, I'll be the first to say that once you reach college, right, uh, and if you don't have that education, that information, right, and that's why I say most of these athletes are vulnerable because they don't have that when they transition from high school to college. And the ones that, that have it, you can see it right away. Like you know that they've had a strong support system in place. But to think that you're going to get those skills that, that are intentional, right, that, that, that there is a, a safe space on college campuses where athletes are developing personal, that, that, that is a rarity, right? And so, you know, my, you know, you know, any kids that I've mentored pre-college that are going on to college, um, yes, they'll have those skill sets that are going to better prepare them. But that's what I think is really lacking is the high school, the AAU team transition to college. Because all they're, they're doing is they're, they're being exploited because they buy into a system that doesn't support them fully, right? And so how do you how do you navigate a system if you don't have the education or competencies um, to excel at both. And when I say excelling at both, excelling athletically and academically, right? Like I had a strong mm-hmm. support system. I understood the important questions that I had to ask my coach. But then I, could, then I can make an informed decision because I had support systems behind me, right? But, but, but there's a difference between having a support system behind you and being protected while you're on the campus. I, I knew exactly what I needed to do. But to say that I was going to be a business major and then also start at the same time, it wasn't going to happen because I wasn't protected from the rules and policies that are made up on college campuses. If I said, you know what, I'm just not going to show up at practice today, I'm going to go to this lab which conflicts with the practice, and I dare the coach to sit me on the bench because 
we're in an institute of higher learning, and there's no way that he would bitch me if, if I'm making a concerted effort uh, to perform well in the classroom, right? Because that's what right. we're here for. We're here to learn. But right. I don't have any protecting me. I, I, I can't, who do I go to? Do I go to Harry Edwards and say, hey, uh, let's protest this? You know, do I go to, no. go to the other players? Because they're going to turn around and say, boy, you're crazy. You know, right. just maybe you're something else. And so I, I really think that the point I wanted to make here is that, that pre-college is where many of these athletes acquire skills. So that's, that's the gap, right? That's the gap in information is, one, how do we better prepare those athletes transitioning from high school to college? And then, two, once they're there, what spaces do we have that they can continue to build upon those strengths and, and address any problem areas that they have? Mm-hmm. So you, 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 you've gone so deep. I don't know if the people are listening are really going to understand this component that, that, that you just explained because I, I'm, in the, I'm in like, I'm, I'm going to call it, I'm in the, the depths and the bowels of, uh, of just kind of slicing up the black athlete. I'm slicing right. up the black athlete, right? I'm slicing him up in my mind and in my, in my comings and goings because I'm saying to a lot of people that we have so many different, not a lot, a lot, but we have so many different sectors of the black athlete that we're dealing with now, right? right. People are like, well, you know, what, what, what do you mean? And I'm like, well, look, there are certain factors that the ones that are successful, whether it be on or off the court, have. There's certain there's certain things they have, and it's not it's not so much, uh, 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 you know, the the water they're drinking. It's it's that support you're talking about. It's that protection. So we take a guy like Steph Curry, right? right. So uh-huh. Steph Curry was born on a different side of the tracks. Okay. He went to Davidson. Now you think, well, he went to Davidson. He's the best player, one of the best players in the NBA, right? He didn't yeah. go to a big-time school. He's not the biggest. He's not the most athletic. But he's well-grounded, right? He's well-grounded. Right. You look at uh, 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 his, his running mate, Clay Thompson, same thing. Born right. on the other side of the tracks, right? Resource, resources, they, didn't, they weren't short of resources uh, in, their, in their household. In terms of the blueprint of what they needed to do, they, they weren't sure of that, but both, both parents and, and, and everybody around them knew this is what you need to do in order to go to that next level, right? Right. Whether it be high school, I mean, whether it be college or high school. Now, and, and Clay went to Washington State. That's a cellar dweller wow. in Pac-12. We all know it's been that way for years, right? Mm-hmm. They've, they've right. been at the bottom of the best. That's a win we're going to get up there, right? So right. When, we look at, when we look at what, what, what you just identified as being – a, a, a key factor in that kid going on campus for the first time and actually being successful on, on and off the field and making it to the next level in business or, 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 or sport, like you say, it, it's at the high school level. In high school, they're not giving it. AAU, not giving it. Club volleyball, uh, uh, baseball, travel ball, not giving it. You know, right. um, and, 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 it, and it's unfortunate. We're going to go to the next segment because we're going to get to all that. That's all offline stuff. We do. I'm just jotting it all down now. Okay. Uh, this next section is called Athletes. Uh, this is the athlete in the, in the spotlight. And we do this section in terms of we like to hear from people in terms of who they think, uh, who you consider to be a successful athlete on and off the field, in and outside of sport. Um, somebody that you look at and say, hey, that, that, that guy's doing it right. No matter black, white, other, female, male, that, that's a, that's 
excuse me, irrelevant. Uh-huh. Who who do you who can you look at and say, hey, this this is somebody here who 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 did it right? Right. You know, um, you know, as I think about an athlete, I mean, there's a number of athletes who I think embody uh, the true scholar um, athlete, and you know, there's a number that come to mind. I'll, I'll just say, you know. One, uh, I'll just say uh, Arthur Ashe, one, because I just finished uh, writing a piece, uh, well, not recently, probably within the last couple of months, I was writing a piece um, that actually had to do with the University of Missouri uh, in the protest of the, of the football team and, and the hunger striker, John, Jonathan Butler. Uh, but I like Arthur Ashe, uh, one, because as, as you, if you look at uh, his legacy, uh, he was a uh, an athlete at UCLA, and and during his time at, at UCLA, he was actually uh, one who raised his level of consciousness because you had other black students on campus who were pu- who were actually pushing Arthur Ashe to take a a stronger stance on racial injustices, and so it was almost like this double consciousness that that Arthur Ashe had to have in terms of thinking about um, in wrestling with, you know, this, the negotiation of, you know, do I want to play my sport or, or do I want to uh, be an activist or can I do this simultaneously without jeopardizing my eligibility? And I, and I saw myself in that same role as an as a undergraduate thinking about, you know, what I can do to disrupt the system uh, as an undergraduate but also being mindful that, um, you're not protected. And so as I read his, his work and, and how he was able to uh, kind of navigate a platform where he was a, an elite athlete, but at the same time he was socially conscious. Um, but, but it was, it, you know, similar to I would say my case where I see I'm doing more social justice work, more advocacy work uh, post-undergraduate, and, and he was similar in terms of fighting for racial uh, injustices. Uh, he didn't do as much uh, as an undergraduate, but you clearly saw his advocacy work uh, post-college uh, and where he's made uh, most of his name and where his legacy has been able to continue is because of a lot of his activism that he did uh, post-college. Good stuff, good stuff. Yeah, this is, um, man, I'm telling you what, this this movement, I spoke to a woman today from down, uh, she's, uh, down in San Jose area. Uh, she does some work with substance abuse with the NFL, and uh, we, we we we're locking her down to come down to this conference in uh-huh. in, in LA. Uh, I'm, I'm telling you, this this the stuff, the where this industry is going, where the, the 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 conscious level of the personal development needs of uh, of the athlete, or, or where it's going. Uh, it's it's taken a while, and it's obviously still in its infancy stage. When you're talking about a structure like the NCAA, um, right? But you, you you see you see the NFL starting to do their thing with wellness and concussions and everything else. You see the NBA, you know, their players' association with Chris Paul starting to get a little bit stronger in terms of some of the things that that happen. Because every day, obviously, there's another former athlete who's gone down the wrong road, and they realize that there is a component that what you're talking about. With 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 Arthur Ashe in terms of you got to at some point you're getting closer to having to choose a side. You you, you know you're right. going to have to choose where where you're going to stand. For me in college, I I, uh, I chose the social side. Uh, right. You know, and it was it was it was no question to me because I knew I wasn't going to be an NBA player. 
You know, right. I, okay. I, I saw some I saw some guys come in um, to Indiana that were working hard at, at their craft in, in terms of the sport, you know, staying after, you know, days off going in. And me, for me, look, this is my time. I'm going to do what I want to do at my time. And, you know, and I said, well, you had the day off yesterday. You know, so-and-so came in and got up 200 shots. And I'd say, good for so-and-so, okay, because right. you're not letting me shoot enough in the game to come in here to get up 200 shots. So I'm not being fooled by, oh, everybody's going in to put in extra work when I don't need to go in and put in extra work because putting in extra work is not going to make make it any different. I got guys from Terre Haute, Indianapolis, uh, Marion. I got all guys that are from the state of Indiana on this bench with me. I'm from California. Local kids going to play. You know, right. the local kids going to get the shot. So for me, it was clear uh, the way the game was being played. And and I said, I'm going to get everything I can get out of this experience from a social standpoint. I'm going to meet as many people as I can. I'm going to hang out as much as I can. I'm going to enjoy myself. And, and, and as, as uh, my conversation with Coach Knight was, what, what are you here for? And I said, right. Coach, I'm here to experience college. That's what I'm here for. I, I'm, I'm not here to play ball. I'm here to experience college. Well, you should leave. I'm not going nowhere. <laughs> he, right. said, I, I, he said, well, well, you you might not play. And I said, you know what, Coach, that's fine. Because, you know, at the end of the day, the game is going to be 40, 45 minutes, and then I'm back to my life. So I can sit there all day, or you can play me when you need to. And he said, well, I'm going to play you when I need to. Okay, now we're wrapping this thing up with the last uh, segment, which is our personal player development solutions. So what are okay. three, things, three things those who work with or, or have a desire to work with and we're going to, we, I got to classify this as the black athlete because we're seeing that the black athlete has, has visible issues. Now, obviously, all athletes have issues. If we look at Abby Wambach, she just came out and said that she had, uh, uh, you know, she lost her identity when she retired and her substance abuse, uh, um, it intensified. Uh, right. uh, um, Michael Phelps, he went through it. Um, and, and his, his, his recent, uh, Olympic, uh, Encounters. He he. There was an interview with Bob Costas where, where he told Bob Costas he he hit the rock bottom, the lowest of the low, and he wished nobody ever goes there. Um, right. And obviously, right. you know, with resources uh, and a support network, he bounced back. Um, so we say, what 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 are three things uh, those who work with or have a desire to work with black athletes uh, should take into consideration when working with this population? Right. I think. First and foremost, uh, if I'm working closely with any athlete, whether professional, college, high school athlete, critical point here is that we cannot look at an athlete or begin to look at them from a deficit perspective. And what I mean by that is that we can't look at these athletes, for example, in college, black athletes, and say, well, they come from dysfunctional families. They're inferior. They're deficient, right? They don't work hard. They're, they, they're not motivated. They're anti-intellectuals. Uh, we have to look at them from a very anti-deficit perspective. We have to see them as strengths. We have to see them as resources, that they're all capable of learning and contributing to the knowledge pool, uh, capable of contributing to the greater good capable of con contributing to their communities. So that's number one. We, we have to look at athletes um, as strengths, particularly black athletes, right. as strengths. Too often when I'm engaged with practitioners on the college campus, they're always telling me what they can't do as opposed to what are their strengths and how can I build upon those. And so if we start mm -hmm. from this, this deficit framework, 
it's very difficult for you to engage them or even get them to be able to connect with them. And, and, and unfortunately, you have too many um, uh, practitioners out there that look at them from a deficit perspective and can't understand why they're not developing or, or getting them to optimal levels. And these points that I'm making are all interrelated. So I like to always place this one when people ask me this question about, hey, we have to look at them from a position of strength. Uh, the other mm -hmm. number would probably be, you know, um, you can't, can't really use a one-shoe-fits-all approach to engaging or re-engaging re an athlete. You have to really understand their cultural backgrounds. You have to understand who they are, right, uh, in order for you to respond meaningfully to them or to effectively engage them. You cannot just say, well, these are all athletes, so I'm, I'm going to tailor my services and programs to all of them the same. No, you have to be an active listener. You have to really understand these, these athletes so you can respond to them. So that would be number two. And then number three, I would think, would be uh, demonstrate you care, right? Demonstrate you're passionate about what you do. Demonstrate you have a level of expertise that would want them to come back and also engage in meaningful conversation with you, right? So too often if these athletes don't come back, they're quick to say, well, uh, they didn't care about it anyway. Well, maybe something's wrong with you, right? Maybe you don't have that level <laughs> of expertise. Maybe you haven't figured out how to connect with these athletes. So for me, I'm always giving the athletes. I, you know, I'm student-centered. I'm athlete-centered. I want to figure out what I can do. Do I have to go back and reflect upon the practices that I'm engaged in and figure out what I can do to get athlete A, B, or C uh, better connected or wanting to come back to me a second or third time? You know, how, do we, how, how is this sustainable, right? And so part of that is just a constant ongoing reflection. Um, you know, I, again, I've been doing this work. This is my life works for a long time. And you run across folks who have been doing this for 20, 25 years, and they will never take fault on what they do. Everything is always blamed on the athletes that somehow they're inferior, they're not interested. Well, maybe it's you. Right? And so that, those are the three things I would think about. And if, you, and if you can think about those three areas and, and, and somehow use it uh, advantageously to connect with an athlete, then I think you're on the right path, right? And then, of course, you know, the work needs to be done or just, right, so that you can always challenge your own assumptions and your, your own ways of thinking about the athlete. So those are the things that I would think about. I mean, talk to folk all the time about these, and number one is really crucial is that, that really looking at them from a position of strength. Well, there you go, folks. Uh, th those, are, those are key elements, key areas that, uh, and, and I would say you can take those and, and apply them to folks at the executive level in the corporate world. Uh, Absolutely. You know, because they, 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 they go through it, uh, you know, just as much as anybody else. So we, that's all the time we got this week. Uh, I want to thank you for coming on. I want to let you know I'm going to hit you with the email this week, to, you know, about this conference. I still need the headshot. Yeah. I got the bio yeah. um, and the format. We're going to get the format going, man. And I, I, I'm telling you, I got a good feeling about, uh, you know, the direction that we're going um, with this thing. And you want to give these folks, are you on social media? You want to give them your social media tags? Uh, yeah, I, you know, I'm at, I'm at Eddie Como, uh, pr pretty simple, E-D-D-I-E-C-O-M-E-A-U-X, at Eddie Como. You can catch me on Twitter, um, and I believe, I think Facebook, I'm not too active there. I, I think I'm Eddie Como as well. You can look me up on that. Good stuff, good stuff. All right, until the next time, thank you very much. God bless and peace. Hey, my pleasure. Take care.